Are you looking for entertainment for a fundraiser, outreach, youth night, date night, or for a conference? Does your team need a way to improve team camaraderie, confidence, and communication? Well, look at Wellverse Comedy for a show, performance, or a workshop. Wellverse Comedy is Chicago's clean comedy team, and we're ready to serve you, your audience, or your organization. We've headlined our own shows at the Second City at Gutty's Comedy Club in Indianapolis and started our own TV show called His Line. And we've raised over $5,000 for charity in just the last two years. We are now booking for your back-to-school bash, fundraiser, and even your holiday parties. Contact us today, and let's see how a night of high-energy, clean, original, family-friendly comedy can make your next event memorable for all the right reasons. Connect with us on social media at WellversedCMDY. That's at WellversedCMDY. Or online at WellversedComedy.com. WellversedComedy.com. For booking information, email us improv at WellversedComedy.com. Welcome to the Gifts for Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women using their gifts for God's glory. Know someone who is making an impact for God's kingdom using their gifts, talents, and passions? We'd love to meet them. Send us an email at podcast at giftsforglory.com. That's podcast at gifts, the number four, glory.com. And now here is our host, Dave Ebert. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the latest edition of Gifts for Glory. We're so glad that you're joining us. Uh, whether you're watching the live stream on Facebook or YouTube, or maybe you're catching the replay, uh, you're listening on uh, any of uh, uh, the major uh, podcast platforms, or you're watching on the Creative Motion Network, uh, we're excited that you're joining us uh, today. I'm uh, going to do a little, uh, something a little bit different to uh, kick off the show today. Uh, last weekend, uh, my wife and I uh, met a couple of friends from church, and we went to go see this movie. Uh, it's called Nefarious. And uh, it's a thriller. Uh, it's a movie that, uh, as a Christian, it's going to challenge you a little bit. And for those of you that are non-believers, or if you know somebody that's not a believer but enjoys the thriller genre, uh, their worldview may be challenged just a little bit. It's a well-done film, uh, and uh, I reckon I, even though it's rated R, I know that Christians sometimes bristle at the idea of going to an R-rated movie. But we're also talking about the same people that rated Unplanned R. Uh, so let's uh, not let the world have the final say. Uh, it is uh, for mature audiences. I wouldn't take uh, your your uh, six-year-old to the film. But uh, a mature teenager, absolutely, I would take them. And uh, here is the clip, from, or not the clip, but the trailer from Nefarious. Uh, they did really well the first weekend. So this weekend, if you're looking for something... Uh, that uh, is a little different than what you normal, normally like, or maybe you do like thriller movies regularly, I encourage you to consider going to Nefarious and checking it out. Uh, it's a really well-done film, and I really think that Sean Patrick Flannery, who's the, the lead, I think it would be a crime if he's not considered uh, for a bunch of, of awards for his performance in this film. So check out the trailer, and we'll be right back. Oh. Execution scheduled for 11 p.m. He's trying to convince us he's gone insane. And therefore incapable of being executed. I need you to prove he's faking it. Edward? I'm gonna ask you some questions. I'm not Edward. I'm a demon. Demons aren't really a thing. What happened to Edward? We own him. He's a master manipulator. You have your head so twisted around you think you're the killer, not him. And give me something to make me believe you. Prove to me you're a demon. Probably just a coincidence. I want to talk to the real Edward. Makes me do bad things. I can't stop him. I need you to see something. You got a fan. Did the same thing with all his victims. Help me! I'm trying to, Edward, but you have to answer my questions. You have to tell me the truth. It won't let me! It can go away. It can go away. Yes? 
No. It's starting to happen. Can you feel it, James? Can you feel it? Exactly what it is that we'd like you to do. <laughs> so that is the uh, trailer to Nefarious. I encourage you to uh, to check it out. Uh, uh, men's groups. I think it'd be great for your men's small group to go out as a group. Go watch it and then uh, go talk about it right after. Uh, I think Nefarious is, is a powerful film. And I uh, hope and pray that it has an impact, at least uh, to help people ask questions. Even non-believers, I think it, it would force you to ask questions if you watch it intently. Uh, you can get tickets and more information at whoisnefarious.com. Uh, so that is uh, you know, just my plug for a movie. I, I get no royalties or anything from that. I just encourage you to check it out. I think it's going to be a, a really a worthwhile watch. So let's uh, now dive into our Devotions with Dave segment uh, for uh, today's broadcast. And for those of you that are curious, we are pre-recorded, so this is not live. Uh, but I do appreciate your comments and your feedback throughout the live stream of the recorded uh, podcast, which to me, it, it seems kind of weird. This is a live stream pre-recorded video but uh, anyway leave comments we appreciate it uh so our uh, devotion with dave segment is coming from uh the book of uh genesis uh it's actually going to be in uh, genesis uh four verses six and seven and uh in that uh we were talking about or we're reading about cain and abel uh cain and abel of course uh the first brotherly rivalry uh if you will in uh, human history but in verses six and seven it, this is after the first murder in human history. This is when Cain has already killed Abel um, because of jealousy, because of envy, because of disappointment and pain. Uh, Cain lashes out and he kills his brother Abel. So we know that. But in verse 6 and 7, I found this part really interesting. Uh, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Now, what's interesting to me about this passage is there's so many of us who, within the Christian faith, that think that our emotions are bad. Our emotions are sinful. It's sinful to be angry. Uh, It's sinful to feel certain things. But here in the very first book of the Bible, we see somebody, Cain, who has just done something. He's already committed the sin. He's already, or actually, um, excuse me, no, this is not, at, I am got sidetracked. Uh, so this is right before the murder. So the the point I'm picking, on, uh, picking this passage is because Cain has had his offering rejected because he kind of gave God what was left over. Where Abel gave the first, the best, the uh, the honoring gift. So uh, I do apologize, I'm getting ahead of myself. But this is before the, the first murder in human history. So let me correct that record. Uh, but Cain has just been rejected by God. And God was not pleased with the offering because Cain kind of gave him the leftovers. And here God is also trying to build him back up. Say, hey, Cain, if you do what's right... If you do what's best, you'll be accepted. Everything will be good. But watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. So in his anger, Cain had not yet sinned. He was on the way to it. Sin was crouching at the door. Cain had not yet answered it. So I wanted this to encourage you that God has given us the gift of emotions, happiness, sadness, anger, fear, uh all these different emotions that we feel, he's given them to us to draw us closer to him. Cain made the mistake of not drawing closer to God. Cain made the mistake of not allowing his emotion to lead him back to God, to rectify, to reconcile, to make things better. And that's what we need to do when we feel any emotion, any strong emotion. No matter what it is, let it draw us closer to God. The emotion is not the sin. The emotion leads to the temptation, which leads to the sin. It's what you do with it. 
Is sin crouching at your door, ready to control you? Don't answer that door. Answer God. And that's the lesson I think is important here for that we can draw from Cain. Is Cain committed the first murder in human history because he allowed his emotions to become his master instead of him subduing his emotions and drawing himself closer to God. So don't fear your emotions. Embrace them and ask, God, what am, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? And how can it draw me closer to you? That way you can subdue it, make it your ma- uh, make your your emotions master. That was kind of awkwardly worded, but I apologize. But uh, yeah, that's our lesson. Uh, that's our devotion for today coming from uh, Genesis 4. Uh, it's talking about Cain and Abel. I think sometimes we, we miss some of the additional lessons in, in the word. Uh, your emotions aren't a bad thing. Uh, so let's bring on our guest at this time. Our guest, uh, he is a uh, he's a family man. He's an award-winning documentary filmmaker, including the 2021 film uh, Enemies Within the Church. We uh, talked to Pastor Gary Gordon a couple of years ago uh, talking about uh, the film. And uh, uh, we'll have the, the link in the show notes to catch that interview and also the link to find out more about Enemies Within the Church. Uh, Judd is also an entrepreneur, uh, and he's a missionary who embarked on a call to action in Nigeria in 2011. He and his wife, Sherry, have five children, all of whom have witnessed the vision unfold uh, when uh, Grandfather Dwayne Wessels invited Judd to join him on a mission trip. Uh, The trip changed Judd's life forever and caused a ripple effect uh, throughout Nigeria. Uh, He's uh, realized the stark reality of the risk and sacrifice facing uh, the people of Nigeria and he's got a burden placed on his heart to uh, to reach the lost and the persecuted Christians in Nigeria. So without further ado, let me bring on our guest at this time, uh, Judd Saul. Judd, welcome to the Gifts of Glory podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be on. I'm excited to uh, have you on uh, because you have gone out out of the four walls of the church. You're not just writing a check and then forgetting about the people you're serving. You're going out, feet on the ground, serving in Nigeria, uh, uh, and your, your organization is called Equipping the Persecuted. Uh, tell us about, uh, first, what uh, Equipping the Persecuted is about and, uh, and what kind of work uh, you guys are actually doing. Equipping the Persecuted is an organization that I created three years ago because, I, as you said before, I've been going to Nigeria uh, since 2011. Uh, but what we see and what I saw on the ground was is that Uh, A lot of people talking about persecuted Christians, and uh, I don't know if many of your viewers know this, but Nigeria is the number one nation where Christians are being killed the most for their faith. There's persecution happening in in other countries, but the the most killings is happening in Nigeria. And what I saw was is that a lot of organizations talked about persecuted Christians, but not a lot of organizations were actually helping persecuted Christians. And, uh, I mean, with the mission I was with before, it had got me all over the country, got me a lot of, uh, connections and contacts and built a lot of friendships over the years. And I just, uh, I saw a need for an organization that rapidly responds to crisis, rapidly responds to attacks when they happen, but also puts in training and preventative measures to try to help people, um, try to help them learn how to save lives and also maybe put up uh, some security awareness training to allow them to, if an attack comes, you know, what do we do? How do we plan this? How do we evacuate people in a better manner? And this is training that we have been doing for the last three years. And then also with our mission is responding to these attacks uh, as quickly as possible. So uh, three years you've been doing this, which means that you started uh, right before the world shut down, basically. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, how did you navigate those waters uh, when you were just getting started? Uh, were you able to even get to Nigeria during that time? Or how did how did uh, all that play out? So I, I got to go there um, right before everything shut down. And that's where we kind of laid the groundwork and the vision for the new mission. Uh, went out there and, and uh, started getting the process going. And then, of course, right after that, uh, everything shut down. My next trip was canceled because there was no flights going anywhere. They shut down everything. And then um, they started opening things back up. And I was able to travel, um, be able to get into the country. And a lot of missionaries actually left Nigeria. 
A lot of other missionaries and missions organizations were leaving their posts to come back to the U.S. because they were afraid of this virus. And um, I don't have time for that nonsense. So um, I found a way to keep getting back into Nigeria uh, without having to get vaccinated um, and uh, kind of kept on going, working our way through and kept our team moving and running and responding to crises. Um, what we did find is that other missions that were there locked down, they were afraid to leave their compound. They weren't going out anywhere because they were scared of the virus. Our guys were actually out there responding when all this was going on. Hmm. So you brought up that uh, Nigeria is, pro is uh, the world's worst as far as persecuting and killing Christians. Yes. Uh, I get your email update and it seems almost weekly there's more news coming out about more you know, men, women, and children being slaughtered. What makes Nigeria so unique that you see such drastic numbers as compared to the rest of the world? Well, to be blunt, is, is what you're seeing is Islam act out what Islam does in real time. Hmm. Is What happens is, is they have come in from the north into Nigeria, expanded their population over the last 30, 40 years, and now they've reached a threshold where they have 50% uh, political control and population. Once a country does that, and once they reach 50% of the population, that's when you see them starting to then become violent and start attacking the non-Muslims. And in this case, it's Christians because they're systematically getting rid of them and taking territory. And to somebody that's watching, they might say, well, you know, if it's that dangerous, why not leave? Why not pull up stakes and move to a more friendly country? Uh, is that even a possibility? Or what would you say to somebody who might ask that question? Where, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to the next door neighboring African country, which is even worse, has more poverty and even less of an infrastructure? Uh, Nigeria is the most populated country in Africa. It's also one of the most rich as far as natural resources go with oil and tin and, uh, you know, various other exports with the potential that's there. And if, uh, if they pack up and leave and leave it all uh, to the enemy, the entire continent of Africa is gone. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's a lot more lives. It's, it, it's a game of chess where you can't just seed. I mean, if it's checkers, yeah, seed the country and leave. But this is a game of chess that uh, has spiritual implications as well as political and worldwide economic issues. Correct. And, uh, and there are great men and women in Nigeria, great Christians of faith that need our support, that need all the help they can get. And, um, you know, God laid it on my heart uh, to do it. And f since the first day I set foot on the ground in Nigeria, it's always been part of me and it yeah. will be part of me for, for the rest of my life. And um, like I said, I just saw a need and a, and a void that other missions and other organizations weren't filling. And I said, well, why not us? We can do it. So how does one go about starting a new foreign missions? I mean, like, uh, if there's somebody listening, like maybe they have a heart for a different country in Africa, or they have a heart maybe for, for the Chinese church or the Saudi Arabian church or the Iranian church. What kind of, uh, what have you seen that, that would work that could help uh, others that have a heart for other nations? Uh, first and foremost, don't go willy nilly into it. Don't just, you know, go, you know, uh, walk in and just walk in blindly without knowing what you're doing. Um, the best thing is, especially doing foreign missions, is you have to find the people on the ground that live there that have the same passion, vision that you do to partner with on a mission going into another country. Um, you know, what I do is I facilitate, I help facilitate funds and work together with locals in Nigeria. They're the ones that are there day in and day out. They know the terrain, they know the people. And that's, and that's who we help, you know, subsidize and come alongside with. And so it's a partnership with locals and you have to find the right people who are trustworthy, uh, especially uh, in Africa. There, it's, it's just a corrupt continent. And it's uh, Nigeria is a very corrupt country. So you got to find people that have been tested by fire and tested by faith that you're going to walk alongside with to get this, uh, to get this going. Yeah. 
and the, the different things that I've done as far as ministry or, or missions type work, one thing is having the right heart. You're not there to save. You're there to be the hands and feet. You're there to serve. And I think a lot of times, especially coming from America, we feel like, well, we're rich in America and we're going to come down, reach out and save you. And I think the heart is the biggest tool. Right. If, 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 if they don't have a transformed life, if they're not transformed by the, by the gospel and everything and all the wonderful things that come with the gospel and being a follower of Christ, uh, it's a moot point. So that, I mean, everything we do, every, every good humanitarian thing that our organization does is always accompanied by the gospel and a clear gospel presentation. And when people come to faith, which a lot of times, so many people come to faith, um, through by witnessing to them and we get them plugged into a church immediately once they once they become a christian so there's follow-up on our end on the faith side as well we team up if we go into an area and we're doing an intervention we're bringing aid we're uh, bringing doctors and medicine we always find local christian church pastors and groups that are there that come that come alongside us and if somebody gets saved we say hey here's a good minister go to their church Mm, that's awesome. And that's yeah. so important because yeah. uh, you, you do all the work and you get them to the you know to the door, and then immediately they're attacked by the enemy and they feel like they're isolated if you don't give them somewhere to be plugged in. And I think that's so important. And it's something we can learn from here. You know, a lot of the big churches are like, yeah, we had four hundred people come to Christ on Easter. Well, how many of those four hundred are being discipled and being plugged in? Exactly. Exactly. If if there's if there's no discipleship follow up, it's it's uh, that that's not the way Christianity is supposed to be practiced. We believe in discipleship, and we've created actually um, a we. So every year we do hold a pastors conference, and our organization uh, helps pay for the travel. We pay for the food, accommodations, and uh, just and this is coming from the last trip I just had a couple weeks ago. We had 350 pastors from across the country, come to our pastor's conference. And this was our second one. We, and we know next year probably we'll be between, be between 500 to a thousand pastors at our next pastor's conference. And it's, it's a, also a way for them to come together and, and, and build a network. Cause a lot of the times these guys come from such hard hit areas. There's targets on their backs. Mm-hmm. Just because they're a pastor and where they live, they have a target on their back. They could be killed the next day because they're a pastor. And so we've, we've developed a network of other pastors. If, you know, something happens, there's a group of people to come alongside widows and come alongside and help some of these families out in, in need of trouble. And in other instances, when churches are destroyed and they haven't left their community, we will come in and try to help give them materials and supplies to rebuild their churches in those areas. For this conference of 350 and then uh, up to uh, next year 500 or a thousand what is the security detail like for for that event because you're asking or i mean you've got 500 people with targets on their back in one location uh what what does that involve and obviously you know being on the internet you probably don't want to say a lot but you know just kind of um, give us the thirty thousand foot view uh we hire out local military we hire out the local police and we hire out the Nigerian Civil Defense Forces. So we have a very fully armed, secure presence around our event 24-7. And we have people standing guard at our facilities where where these guys are staying. And through the newsletter and the, the organization back here stateside, you've got dozens that are interceding during the prayer or during yes. the, the, the conference. Yes. And that is very important. And I can't stress that enough. Um, it's something I, uh, we need to do a better job of is telling our people, pray for this ministry daily. Pray for the ministry daily. Pray for the safety of our team and our people out there. Um, and it's such a big deal, and it's so needed. Um, but we do have intercessors. we got intercessors at our local church that pray for us on a regular basis. And um, we, we couldn't do this without the covering of prayer. Mm. Amen. So just uh, uh, I know we, we touched on it earlier, but... Um, if I were to make a comparison for people that maybe don't understand what you're saying, it almost seems like you are kind of the Samaritan's purse for the persecuted church in Nigeria specifically. Does that sound like a fair comparison? I wish I had their resources. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I had the resources so we could do a lot more. Um, we, we help where we can, when we can, if the resources are available. Uh, we deploy them and we deploy resources every day, every week. We're, we're doing something. Um, and with the re big increase in recent attacks, it is just, it's just been one thing after another, unfortunately. And so we've been working very hard on trying to respond to that, but it's, you know, we're called equipping the persecuted and that's what we do. We equip persecuted Christians, not with food, medicine, um, you know, spiritual comfort, Bibles, materials to fit their needs. Because what happens is when I say attacks, their family members are killed. The ones that survive, the family members are killed and everything they owned and which was very little of any way because Nigeria is a very impoverished country. They have nothing but the clothes on their backs after these attacks, mm. everything they had, their cars, their beds, anything they owned has been destroyed. And then there's the irreplaceable of maybe a family photo or, or something, some they, heirloom, they, heirlooms, they family photos, everything they had is now gone. And they can't even go back to their farms or the land that they were once on. And so we have to assess the situation and go, okay, what is needed most? A lot of them, after these attacks and they get thrown into these camps, that you have massive outbreaks of disease like typhoid, uh, tuberculosis, um, all these things break out. So we have to assess, okay, what, what, is, what is the most needed at this moment? And we try to help that. What are uh, your, I mean, obviously finances, but uh, manpower, what are your other major needs right now? Uh, primarily, primarily it's finances on that end. Uh, and, and lots and lots of prayer. The manpower we have is local Nigerians. It's local Nigerians that understand they do the work, they know what's going on. Uh, you know, like I said, they know the territory around them. They're the ones with the boots on the ground bringing, um, other missionaries or, or bringing Americans to Nigeria it's not something I highly recommend because it's extremely costly. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, if you try to help build something, they get offended. Mm -hmm. If you try to help do such and such, they get offended. So if someone comes to Nigeria with me, it's for, for a very specific purpose and a set of skills that they can either train people on or, you know, you know, where people can learn from somebody that we bring in to Nigeria. I think that that's so uh, important is to uh, in the title of the organization equipping is not uh, just coming there to take a selfie of you doing God's work. You're going to equip them uh, so yeah. that they can carry on without you and they can do it on their because when you do something yourself, there's more of a pride in it. There's more of a, a value to you in it. And when you can build your rebuild your own community, there's got to be a lot more ownership than if, you know, if we Americans come in and we just drop off a prefab building and take off, if they build it, they mm -hmm. take ownership and that's far and, more valuable. And for just, so just get a thinking and cost comparison here. Okay. And I, and I, I explain this to people because people are like, Oh, I want to come to Nigeria. It's like, okay, why do you want to come to Nigeria? Mm -hmm. Do you want to see what, just see what's going on and, you know, and, and have a, you know, and have an adventure or because, because if you look at things cost wise, the average Nigerian makes a hundred dollars a month. Mm. Okay. So when we go build a structure, we're employing 20, 30 Nigerians, which is them providing for their families. Yeah. See what I'm saying? And, and then, you know, and, and the manpower and everything else, we have, we have a staff of 40 people in Nigeria and that's 40 Nigerians that we're, we're helping fund, helping fund their families and then, uh, and hiring them to do our building projects and it impacts the community around them because, you know, because they have those things. And like I said, if I brought a team of, you know, Americans with their DeWalt's, they would, they would get offended uh, by, by that happening. So I'm just trying, you know, yeah, absolutely. understand. Yeah. Um, so finances are the biggest thing. Uh, so uh, I've got the website posted right now on our, on the screen, equipping the persecuted.org slash donate. Um, and uh, uh, you know, it's, it's worthwhile because 
it's needed. Uh, we need to build people up on all corners of the world. And I think Jesus was brilliant when he said, uh, you know, go to the, to the ends of the earth. But he also knew the earth was round. There is no end. Right. Uh, so, right. Uh, and I think it's powerful work. Um, so we're, we've talked about the, you know, the doom and gloom, the seriousness of it. Uh, what are some of the successes that, that you can, can share and, and tell us about uh, that you've seen in the last few years? Well, like I said, we, we look at practical needs and, and situations of what's going on. One of the things I'd like to highlight is, um, is uh, you know, we, we donated uh, some, some equipment um, uh, to some police in, in certain areas. And uh, well, we ended up donating a drone a while back. And we come to find out that that drone has uh, solved four kidnapping cases where they found the victims and they found out where the bad guys were and were able to take them out. Nice. And that's just within the last four months. You know, it's just by, you know, giving, giving people practical needs and little help, you know, it's a, it's a thousand dollar drone to us and people play around with them here, but there it saves lives. Wow. Um, you know, uh, in the short amount of time we've been in ministry about three years. Um, we have been able to touch the lives of 160,000 persecuted Christians. That's helping them, helping them with food, aid, material, rebuilding churches. Uh, and the gospel has gotten out to that many people. And when I say persecuted Christians, these are people of a Christian faith. And just like anybody, there's nominal Christians who may not really be Christian, but they're part of that culture. But then when someone sees what we do, when they see what we do and they say, hey, here are Christians coming out to help fellow Christians, something they've never seen before, that shakes their faith. Mm -hmm. It shakes their worldview because now they're seeing Christianity in practice of what Christianity is supposed to be doing. Yeah. Far too often we've let the world narrate what Christianity is supposed to be and what what right. our failures have been. But when we are able to truly be the hands and feet to walk the walk as well as talk the talk and do it from a place of, of servanthood, servant leadership, just like Jesus, yeah. it has an impact that's far more than just passing out tracks or, or doing a soup kitchen. Not to knock those things, but to have impact, you've got to be the feet on the ground. And uh, that's what equipping the persecuted is, is doing in Nigeria. Yeah. And like, I, I'm just doing what the Lord told me to do. Is there a possibility that you, that your organization expands beyond Nigeria to a different country? Or do you feel like the Lord's calling that at all? Uh, there, there are some potential options uh, open right now, but we have to finish what we've started in Nigeria as far as our infrastructure and accomplishing what we want to accomplish over the next few years, concentrate on that, get that into a sustainable operation. Then we would branch on and look into other places like um, Sudan, Uganda, uh, some of these other places that we've, we've gotten some interest from, but it's like, but right now the we're just sticking to our mission right now in Nigeria. And then if the Lord opens more of those doors, then we'll go to where he calls us to go. So uh, in your bio, it says that, that you're a filmmaker. We talked a little bit about uh, uh, enemies within the church. Is working with uh, for equipping the persecuted, is that your occupation or or do you still do film? Uh, what do you do to keep the, the lights on and the roof over your family's head? So I do some insurance part-time. Uh, I do some insurance part-time. Um, I um, get a small stipend from equipping the persecuted because I'm I'm now traveling there three, four times a year and <laughs> I have to, have to keep my wife happy um, mm -hmm. and, oh, yeah. and, pay the, and pay the bills. Uh, so I take a small stipend for equipping the persecuted and uh, I do insurance part-time and then the filmmaking side, I wouldn't really call it a living. I'd say I became a filmmaker because I lost a bet. <laughs> um, but it, no, it's uh, the, I, so this goes into my testimony is, um, I grew up in a Christian home, um, you know, all my life. Um, but then some bad things happened in the churches that I had been going to where 
uh, you know, pastor had an affair with the college girl, blew the whole church up, mm. go to the next church, church drama happens, church breaks up. And that happened to me as a teenager. And I watched all this stuff happen. And I was just like, yeah, I'm done with church for a while. Mm. I'm going to go do my thing. So after high school, I went to film school. And uh, after film school, uh, I got into production and I was doing secular things. Just say I wasn't doing Christian things. Um, and that uh, got me into actually, this is a testimony that not a whole lot of people know about, but I got into the rap business for a couple of years. Hmm. I executive produced a, a na national rap artist and did three nationwide tours with Tech Nine. And oh, really? wow. And uh, uh, did stuff with Insane Clown Posse back in the day. Any wrestling yeah. shows? Uh, no wrestling shows. Uh, did attend a couple JW, uh, wrestling matches. Mm -hmm. JC, I think it's JCW, something like that. Uh, wrestling matches, but, uh, um, but it, that's when I was in the middle of that, the Lord slapped me upside my head. Mm. I mean, it was very, it was just pretty much as clear as day where it's like, if you go this direction, you go that direction. I'm not blessing you. You're done. Wow. Or you use your gifts and talents to serve me. And I chose God. It saved my marriage, saved my family. And it was shortly after that change in my repentance and coming back to God and getting back into the Bible, getting back into the scriptures and getting my life back on track is, is shortly thereafter I went to Nigeria. Hmm. So and this was, uh, around 2010, 2011. 20, yeah, 2010, 2011. Um, and that's where my entire life changed. Wow. And that's when I said, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. And then that's what all my filmmaking, everything I did from then on went into conservative and Christian causes. Not as much money there, but uh, you're building a reward in heaven. Not as much money, but more gratifying. Yeah. Stuff that you can show your kids. Like, this is what daddy does. And it's not, oh, you can't see what daddy does. Because that's exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, uh, so fast forward, how did uh, you and, and Carrie Gordon cross paths and get to um, creating uh, enemies within the church? So I, I did a film. Uh, a while back called unfair exposing the IRS. Mm. So I did a documentary and we went and interviewed tea party groups, pro-life groups, uh, all who had been harassed by the IRS and they weren't granted their tax statuses until they showed their meeting minutes. They had to write a statement, a list of their beliefs. The IRS asked for taped documentations of their meetings mm. and and just going through all this harassment and then some groups um, bank accounts got frozen and shut off. And this was the rise of the tea party movement, the conservative movement. And then they weaponized the Obama administration weaponized the IRS against them. And so we did a film on that subject. Well, while doing that film, fellow Iowan pastor, Kerry Gordon, who lived three hours away from me, um, challenged the IRS from his pulpit. It says, I'm endorsing X candidate. I am doing this and this and this. Everything that, that you say I'm not supposed to do as a church, I'm doing it. I'm taping this message. I'm sending it to you to directly. I dare you to come after me. <laughs> and I was like, I love this guy. There's a pastor doing this and he's from Iowa. And so um, uh, we reached out to him and ended up filming him for that documentary. <laughs> and then Pastor Kerry and I have been great friends ever since. And uh, the, 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 the film that uh, became enemies within the church, that was a several year project that uh, you, you worked together. It was, it wasn't Correct. easy to come out with that. Well, imagine trying to fundraise on a project called enemies within the church. Mm -hmm. It took us three years to make it. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, and, 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 you know, the, the biggest thing we were coming up against was, People did not believe what was actually happening. 
Right. People did not believe that people like Al Mohler and people like, you know, Tim Keller and all these other guys were actually pushing leftist ideas and ideology from their institutions. People didn't know what the gospel coalition was doing. It was a foreign concept. And then, so in real time, as we, as we raise some funds, we would shoot and uh, do production. Then we'd raise funds. We do a little more over the course of three years. But as it was happening in real time, we were documenting what was going on with the Southern Baptist convention, what was going on in the Presbyterian church of America and, you know, and, and just all over Christendom and people could not believe what was going on. But as they saw things that we had been reporting on and stories that we were breaking that got people more interested in what we were doing and says, yes, they came along. They're like, yeah, this message needs to get told. And so that's how we ended up making it. Because what's ironic and what's crazy is most of the people that would have the money to say, yes, this needs to be done are the ones that are the problem within the church. Correct. Not, I mean, not, not, not all of them, but, but the, the, the powerful institutions that be, and this is one of the biggest things that I realized is that the biggest institutions, I call it, we call it big Eva, the big business Christian industry. I don't call them ministries. I call them industries mm -hmm. protect one another Yeah. because if they don't protect one another, that means there's less book sales, there's less conferences, there's less money to be made off the products. And so a lot of these guys lay cover for what I call big Eva, where they cover each other's backs and look the other way when, you know, insanity happens. Yeah. Because if one falls, then it's not much for the others to fall. Correct. Because they protect they, one another. Yeah. They protect one another because, you know, if, if church acts with 10,000 members, the pastor falls because it's proven that they're bringing in leftist Marxist ideologies. Then these other ones who are doing the same thing, any accusations against them suddenly has justification and suddenly right. and, has, has legitimacy. And the funny thing is it's our fault. Yeah. It's our fault for causing division, for letting people know what's actually happening, you yeah. know, in these institutions. And, um, you know, I'm really happy we made the film and uh, Big Eva didn't cover it. We didn't get the publicity that a lot of other projects get. And in fact, some organizations made counterfeit film of ours and left out all the key information. Mm -hmm. And, but the thing is, is that it has made an impact and we know it's made an impact. People have from all over the country have bought the film. They have come back and said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making this. We've had pastors contact us and say, we repent. We were wrong. We're sorry. We're changing direction. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. In the spiritual war, it's not going to be the big guys that are going to see victories for the kingdom. It's no. the smaller 50 to 100 person churches, the the 25 member churches in, in a small town that are willing to, to go to the mat to pray, to, to fight the spiritual warfare that don't have a lot to lose other than their faith. And that's enough for them. Um, well, the, 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 whole, the whole point, the whole point of Christianity is you're a follower of Christ. You follow Christ, you submit to Christ, you take up your cross, you follow Jesus. That means we practice our faith like we got nothing to lose. Absolutely. If we try to practice Christianity like we have something to lose, well, that just gives Satan the whole footing in your life. And what's what's fitting here is in the furious, when, when you get to see it, you'll see how good the enemy is at subtleties that eventually mm -hmm. create doorways. Yeah. Um, it, and it's, it's one but, little, one little tiny step at a time, one little tiny step at a time, one little compromise, one little compromise. And that's, that's how it works. Yeah. I said once on Facebook and, and it got a little pushback. I said, nobody falls into sin. They gradually walk into it. Yeah. It's, it's one compromise after another. It's one, Oh, it's just X, or it's not that big a deal. Oh, we played Ouija board once in high school. I don't need to repent of that. It was in high school. But demons, they have eternity to deal with you. So mm -hmm. they're patient. So what a door you opened in high school, they may not walk into until you're married. And That's then true. all of a sudden you're wondering what is going on. 
and Nefarious points that out. And Nefarious also will point back to enemies within the church because there's a scene, and I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet, there's a scene where the typical American Christian pastor is exposed. Uh, I'll leave it there. And I think once you see that scene, you'll know what I'm talking about. And I think it's important that you see Nefarious because it's a creative thing pointing to what the enemy is doing within our culture and then see enemies within the state or enemies within the church, excuse me. Uh, In some ways, that's kind of the same thing. The church and the state are one. But enemies within the church shows that it's really happening. And one of the weaknesses in the American church is the unwillingness to truly see evil unless it's something that the news tells us to think is evil. That's right. And I want to break this right now. Um, Just kind of put it on your radar. We are starting pre-production on part two. Wow. So that is awesome. Uh, And we'll, and people can find out more at enemies within the church.com. That's correct. And uh, for those that don't know enemies within the church, uh, if it's okay with you, uh, Judd, I want to, just play the trailer, sure. take a couple of minutes and let people see what it's about. And then uh, uh, we'll come back and we'll wrap up. So here is the trailer for Enemies Within the Church. What happened to the church, to the living, powerful, transformative, nation-shaking Christianity? What they're trying to do is completely demolish Western civilization and then to rebuild it in a just society. How do you break down American Christianity? I think the problem today in our culture is many of our words have been co-opted and stolen and dumbed down and reversed. Social justice is sold as something that it isn't. Critical race theory is sold as something that it isn't. Whiteness has caused blindness of heart. Whiteness has caused blindness of heart. When you preach victimization, it always leads to vengeance and vice. Us against them, me against you, I want my pound of flesh. American churches today are where the universities were 10 years ago. Pretty heavily Marxist. They're not quite there yet, but they're well on the way. Many of the seminaries and Bible colleges are definitely already there. That message that they're going out and taking the world is not, you need to repent of your sin, receive Christ. Instead, the message that you actually have is they are under the weight of racism or sexism or homophobia, and then we need to unify them together. I'm gay, I'm 29, I'm a youth pastor in New Jersey. I'm straight and I'm also a youth pastor in New Jersey. We're planning on sharing life together for the rest of our lives, which we're not totally sure what that looks like. Obviously Nick is straight and he does plan on getting married. Uh, When he has a wife one day, she'll make those decisions with us. The future damage of what we're doing now is just gonna be enormous. The entire fabric of family, personal wealth, private property, all those things are out the door. And everything is the state. They believe the state is God. They don't define justice the same way as the scripture. Oh no, it's gonna be an equality all right. And it's going to be a totalitarian Marxist justice. So there it is, the trailer. Um, I've seen it. My, I've shared it with my pastor. My pastor actually had uh, Pastor uh, Kerry on his podcast uh, about mm-hmm. a year and a half ago. Uh, so it, I, I just, I, I didn't intend this, but having the you know nefarious, you know, talking about nefarious enemies within the church, there's so much interconnectivity between the two films that I think that it, it it's God's timing that this kind of you know. Enemies within the church is setting a groundwork. Now Nefarious is out there to show how easy it is for the enemy to get a foothold in people's lives, even if they're professing Christians. Uh, there mm-hmm. is oppression, maybe not possession, but oppression uh, that uh, can cause a cancer within a family or within a church body. And uh, so um, really excited to hear the news that and be able to share the news that there's a part two. At the same time, it's also sad that there needs to be a part two. There's a lot we couldn't cover. There's a lot we couldn't cover in that time. I mean, it's a it's a two it's a two hour film, uh, and 
we had to leave so much on the cutting room floor, but then there's a whole aspect that we didn't get to cover because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And that is what's happening to the church around the world. We're going worldwide with this, and we're going very in-depth into a lot of places that we could not get to in part one. Yeah. How much of the the COVID and the church response to COVID is going to be included? Um, We did a little bit in part one. Um, We're we're still looking at how that is, but I think think we're going to add a little bit more to it. Um, That's, it's one area that we wanted to cover more in, but we just, it's just, there's so many things happening. It's so, Mm -hmm. it's so fast. Like we had to just, we had to cut the film and say, okay, this is done. Otherwise it'd be a four hour film. Um, But one of the things we are looking at and talked about exploring is the pastors that stood up to COVID and the backlash they got from fellow Christians. Mm -hmm. And and what happened to um, pastor Artur in Canada where he stood up for himself, stood up for his church, and all the other pastors ridiculed him and turned their back on him in his community. Yeah, that's that's these are there's stories like this all over all over the world where yeah. this happened that didn't get a lot of light. But I'm saying that's a, that's one of those instances that we have to look at. And Absolutely. you know, it's like if we don't stop the insanity here, we will end up like in Nigeria. Yeah. So. For those of us that are awake, we need to to be awake and active, not just post on social media, but stand up in our churches when we see something going awry and fight this enemy because he's coming. You know, the hell, the gates of hell won't prevail against God's church, but doesn't mean that in that war there won't be some casualties. And I think that exactly. those that are paying attention in the last few years have seen some casualties because they'd rather they would rather be on the side of the third Reich turning in and Frank's family instead of standing with the Christians that are trying to stand up for what's right. You know, while, while making enemies within the church, I just want to let people know this is that the thing that broke my heart the most while making the film is churches that had been established for a hundred years. I mean, established very well, very good churches and good people in them that let the devil get in through social justice, through Marxism, through wokeism, you know, wokeism and all this nonsense. And then watch that church completely get destroyed in a matter of a year. And the whole thing end up the building having to go for sale Mm. and blowing it up because they they let the wrong guy in the wrong ideology that was antithetical to the scriptures. What ruined those churches. And there are hundreds and hundreds of them across the country that we've come across since making the film. And that's what breaks my heart because not just destroying uh, like the gathering of the church and the church building, but it is destroying families. Yeah. And that's, that's why we made the film is to try to warn people about that. Yeah. So enemies within the church.com find out more and follow them on social media as well to uh, be up to date on when uh, the the movie starts actual production and then comes back out and also uh, support by purchasing the the film uh, through enemies uh, within the church.com. So not to be uh, irreverent of what we just talked about, because we talk about a lot of heavy stuff between persecution in Nigeria and also the, the problems within the American church. I want to dive in and, and do something fun to end, end the show because we hope there's hope. And so we'll do there the irrigation here and uh, seven random questions that otherwise wouldn't fit in our conversation. So here is the interrogation. All right. So what do you do to unwind and refresh? What do I do to unwind and refresh? Um, try to find a good comedy to watch. I try to find a good comedy to watch. Um, love comedy. Um, uh, you know, just something, something weird, not weird, not weird, you know, weird in general, just something different to get into it, to just kind of get me out of the frame of mind and keep my sense of humor going. Awesome. Uh, laughter is a gift from God. I truly believe that. Um, so our second question is, uh, what is your favorite non-American food? My favorite non-American food. Yikes. Um, 
because I like Americanized, not American food. That's uh, that's I'm trying to think here. I like Chinese food. All right. And the Chinese would say it's American Chinese food, but I like Chinese food. <laughs> I, I'll allow it. Uh, question number three: uh, With whom do you most identify in Scripture? Mm. Um. Let's see here. Oh, like uh, one of the prophets, like like Elijah. Mm. Um, I would identify because I a lot of times I deliver the bad news and no one wants to hear it. And as a follow-up to that, any consideration after you had that uh, slap-in-the-head moment from God, changing your last name from Saul to Paul? <laughs> no, I, I get that a lot, and I did consider it, but my, you know, I, I honor my father and mother, so I didn't yeah. want to didn't want to change the name to Paul, but I didn't think about it. Okay, uh, that was just me being a silly improviser, so I apologize. No, but seriously, it crossed my mind, but I was like, yeah, too much work. Gotcha. <laughs> Question number four: What's a talent you have uh, that few people have seen? Uh, I'm a drummer. Nice. Do you uh, drum uh, on your worship team at church? No, I try to stay out of that. Gotcha. All right. Question number five: Where, where in the world would you most likely, uh, most like to visit in this life? Iceland. Iceland. Very nice. Question number six, if you could go back and relive a moment, whether to have a do-over or to just relive the experience, what would that moment be? I would have said no to the rap business. Mm. I'd like to relive that moment. Well, yeah, you know, like I wish somebody would have just randomly punched me in the face. <laughs> Said, Judd, don't go there. Nothing good's going to come out of it. But God's uh, redeemed it, though, nonetheless, right? Yes, he yes he has. Yeah. He's very good at that. So question number seven. What is something that you hope to accomplish in 2023? Make as many wimpy Christians mad as possible in all aspects of my life. Nice. I like that. Force them to choose. Force them choose? to choose. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, you survived the interrogation. Uh, pretty simple and pretty easy, I hope. I was trying um, to be a little more lighthearted with my answers. I, yeah, you know. absolutely. So, some yeah. some people will probably watch this and go, oh, he said. Yeah, guys, I'm just trying to be funny here. Yeah. And, and if you watch this show and you get easily offended, um, no apologies. Go watch another show. Yeah, go watch <laughs> another show. <laughs> All right. So our final, final question as we wrap up. Uh, for anyone that's watching or listening that wants to step up, use their gifts, talents, and passions in, in a way to honor and glorify God, what would your wise counsel be? Wisest counsel would be make sure you have a spiritual mentor in your life that is looking out for you and your spiritual walk and uh, make sure there's confirmation that you're going to go there. Yeah. J just because you personally have a personal passion make sure you have a spiritual mentor that knows you well to guide you through th that calling you know or you know or those wants to make sure you're following the right path and that you're prepared and ready to go into it amen awesome advice awesome word there so judd saul uh we uh, we really appreciate you we appreciate your work your heart for for god for his kingdom uh, for the people of Nigeria, and also to wake up the uh, the sleeping American church. Um, I know it's no easy task. I know that when you step out, you're going to have a target on your back, but we appreciate you willing to take up that mantle, and I, I know that God does too. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to get to meet you and know you, and uh, look forward to uh, keeping in touch uh, after this. Absolutely. So uh, for the final uh, 40 seconds we have here before we wrap up, I just want to, if it's okay, I want to uh, pray over you if that's all right. Thank you, sir.
Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, I, I lift up my brother uh, Judd to you, and I just pray your protection as he travels to and from Nigeria, uh, and as he travels within Nigeria. Uh, it's not a safe environment. Uh, he's got a bullseye on his back, as well as everyone that he works to serve. And I pray that you'll protect them. you provide their every need, protect them, and even if there is corruption within the security force, that they would be so moved by what's going on that they would lay down their corruption, lay down their arms, and and follow you and pursue you. We pray that you would bless them, protect them, and provide their every need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.